to the Damascus Road podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. In that clip from Bob's Burgers, Teddy and Linda, they suspect that something is wrong with Bob. He's out of it and distracted. He's pouring ketchup into coffee and they've seen this all before. But Bob won't admit something is wrong as he goes about his day as if everything's all right, even muttering to himself, everything is fine, everything is fine, while standing at the grill in nothing but his apron and his underwear. Have you ever been in a place like this? Okay, maybe not like ketchup and coffee, but in a place where something was pretty obviously wrong, but you wouldn't admit it. Maybe you were burnt out like Bob or feeling really stressed and anxious about school or work. Maybe something more serious had happened. You'd just heard that your grandparent had died or maybe you'd lost a friend. Maybe you had another miscarriage and it was getting hard to hope again. Maybe you were struggling with depression or anxiety and it was getting really hard to get through each day. But the point is something was wrong. And no matter how many people tried to ask, you could never admit it. I experienced this myself. I had gone to a minister's retreat some years ago and I kept getting asked if something was wrong, but I kept saying that everything was all right. Obviously, I was lying. Ministers are good at recognizing when something is wrong and are always prepared to ask if they see something that concerns them. It's kind of the job but I did not want to open up and share. I did not want to share that actually I was going through one of the most challenging seasons of my life, that I was reeling from a painful and embarrassing blow up with a close friend that exposed my own deeply unhealthy emotions. That that blow up, that had led into a season of reckoning with my lifelong shame around my emotions and my insecurities. And I didn't want to share that I didn't know how to deal with any of this. I did not want to express any of that pain. So I just kept lying when everyone kept asking me. I kept telling them, I don't want to talk about it. Have you ever done this? Have you ever been in the midst of grief and trauma or pain, but unwilling or unable to express it? Instead, you denied it buried it. You tried to deaden the pain. Sadly, we've all experienced pain and grief and trauma, and we've had many opportunities to respond just like I did. Maybe you experienced the death of a parent or the death of a friend. Maybe it was the death of a child. Death is deeply sad and tragic, and it calls for great mourning and grief. But grief is not just the result of death. We experience it in small yet real ways, perhaps every day. It can come from having an argument at home before you left for work or one of your children is doing poorly at school and you don't know what to do. You're fighting with a friend and the conflict is dragging on. You're disappointed with how a presentation went. You don't get the job or the promotion that you've been hoping for. You're leaving a job instead, perhaps. And even if that's a sort of new one, there can still be some grief as you say goodbye. And this last year and a half has had a lot to grieve from canceled weddings, canceled graduation ceremonies, canceled birthdays and parties, canceled trips that you've been planning and saving for for years, all canceled because of the pandemic. 
Life as normal has been so thoroughly disrupted that you may have had a lot to grieve in this season. Grief for the parents struggling to find childcare while still working to provide. Grief for our elders who were feeling alone and isolated. Grief for what we have lost. Grief for the loved ones we have lost. We have lost so much and we have experienced pain and grief and trauma. Now, how do we respond? How do we move forward? Last week, Andrew taught us that trauma is our response to extreme distress or disturbing events. It's the consequence of experiencing death, both literal and figurative. And that consequence extends far beyond the initial loss. It affects our whole being physiologically, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually. We will never be the same. Many of us will be carrying around the consequences of trauma for the rest of our lives. We are living in a new reality, one where death and loss exist. We cannot go back to the way that things were before. Our old ways of life are gone. We will forever live in a post-COVID world, a post-9-11 world, a post-miscarriage world, a post-death of a parent world, a post-losing our job and identity world, a post-failure world, a post-injury, post-pain, post-death and loss and trauma world. We cannot go back, but instead are living in a new reality. Andrew encouraged us to learn to sit and wait and to have hope for God's healing. Hope beyond mere survival in our new reality and hope for things as they should be. Healing begins where we are now instead of back before where we were, once were, but cannot go back to. But when we are trying to navigate this new reality, struggling with pain and and waiting for healing, we often respond like I did. Instead of hoping, we bury the pain deep down and we try not to feel it. We can't go back, so instead we deaden ourselves to the pain rather than get our hopes up that it will ever go away. Why do we do this? Dr. Robert Kellerman, who wrote the book that this series is based on, writes, We deaden ourselves by refusing to hope, long, wail, or groan. Because groaning exposes us as the needy people that we are. We deaden our pain. We try to hide the real and broken people that we are. Maybe you receive the message that men don't cry. Men don't feel sad because emotions are the domain of women. And emotion is weakness. And that's a pretty terrible message for literally everyone. Or maybe we weren't really prepared for our emotions as children. We were taught not to cry. We heard, don't be a baby, or I'll give you something to cry about, as if our tears were never valid. Maybe some well-meaning older sibling or cousins, they just wanted to toughen you up. Or maybe in your family, crying was used to produce guilt and to manipulate you. And so we did what we could to avoid upsetting one another because we avoided conflict and emotion instead of dealing with it. And then the church isn't always great with emotion either. Many people of faith are mistrusting of feelings that that, that we believe cloud judgment or understanding of God. Feelings are viewed as suspicious and people are told that if they are not carefully regulated, they can lead to poor decisions and relational landmines. Ask yourself, well, how do you deal with pain? How How do you deal with grief and trauma? 
Is it intentional or is it a remnant of the patterns that you were taught as a child? Do we deaden ourselves to our pain and trauma? The problem with this is that if we deaden our pain, we cut ourselves off from the possibility of future joy. We cut ourselves off from all of our emotions. We lose the joy in the things we used to enjoy. We are unable to relate to our friends or or care for our children. We lose hope that we'll ever feel better or do more than just merely get by. We lose our hope for the future. I know I certainly wasn't enjoying the retreat more because I was refusing to acknowledge my pain and deaden it instead. And deadening our emotions also keeps us from intimacy with God. And all of this is because deadening our pain and our grief is like a dam. We cannot hold back only the pain and let everything else through. No, when we try to hold back the pain, we hold back everything else with it. Deadening our pain and grief and trauma, it does not work. The problem we face is that we were made for much more than an emotionless, dry existence. We were made with longing and hunger and a desire for more. And this means, and I mean this as an encouragement, our grief is legitimate. Genesis describes the garden paradise that we were made for. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given every green plant as, as food for the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all that he had made and he saw that it was very good. And then in Revelation tells us of the new creation that awaits us where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. Genesis tells us what we were made for. Revelation tells us what awaits us. And what we experience today is not it. The biblical truth, the reality of life is that our emotions do matter and that our grief is legitimate because the world is not how it was meant to be. It is filled with pain and disappointment. Our grief is rooted in the reality that this is not how things were meant to be, or as Dr. Kalman writes, designed for paradise, we live in a desert. And then furthermore, our grief is not only validated by what the Bible teaches us about us, but it is an experience that is shared throughout the Bible. Yes, our grief is biblical. For example, We can look at the poems of Lamentations, which are written by the prophet Jeremiah, who had the worst job. He was God's prophet in Judah right before and during the exile of Israel. He was called the weeping prophet and was challenged with telling the Israelites that if they didn't shape up, God would punish them. That Babylon would come, conquer their kingdom and carry them off into exile. And then they didn't listen to him. 
They refused, and instead they listened to others who claimed to be prophets and said, don't worry about it, all is going to be fine. And then Jeremiah had to watch his nation as it was conquered and his people taken away. And he expresses his grief like this. I have cried until the tears no longer come. My heart is broken. My spirit is poured out in agony as I see the desperate plights of my people. Little children and tiny babies are fainting and dying in the streets. What can I say about you? Who has ever seen such sorrow? O daughters of Jerusalem, to what can I compare your anguish? O virgin daughter of Zion, how can I comfort you? For your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? What grief and what pain. And Lamentations is full of of this raw and painful emotions, just like this as Jeremiah writes to God, expressing his pain and his questions for God. We find our pain in the pages of the Old Testament. And we also find our grief in the Gospels. As we read in John 11, then Jesus wept. This is the shortest verse in the Bible, but I believe it is also one of the most beautiful. In these few words, we are shown that even Jesus experienced grief and sadness. But Jesus is God. Why should he be sad over death? He is God and he knows that God has power over death. He knows what he's about to do. Jesus knows that death is not the end. It was not the end for Lazarus. It would not be the end for himself. It will not be the end for all who follow him. But Jesus is also human. His friends were grieving. His disciples were confused. And Jesus felt their pain, their their fear of death, and the frailty of their humanity. He knew that he would fix it soon. He knew he was about to rise Lazarus from the dead. He would conquer death. But then, in that moment, he wept. Jesus wept because his friend Lazarus was dead. Because Mary and Martha, his friends and sisters to Lazarus, wept. Jesus wept because death is sad and tragic. It is a consequence of humanity's sin and brokenness that separates us from God. Jesus is human and death makes us cry and death makes us afraid. And so Jesus mourned and Jesus wept. Jesus is true God and true man. And we worship a God who knows our pain and our grief. Scripture is full of grief and sorrow, demonstrating that even the most challenging emotions that we experience are part of life with God. Tears are a part of our humanity. Jeremiah, God's prophet, wept. Jesus, God became man, wept. In in this grief, we are mourning that the world is not yet as it should be. As Andrew spoke last week, we are waiting on Saturday for Sunday to come, the day when all is made right again. And we have the promise of what is to come as we read again in Revelation, that he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever.
But that is not yet our reality. Our reality now is full of death and sorrow and pain. These things will one day be gone, but not yet. We live in the now with hope for the not yet. When we are healed and renewed and restored in our hearts, minds, and bodies, but also in our relationships with God and one another. But that is not yet. So today, we grieve. We grieve without giving up on the now. Paul personifies this in Philippians. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Paul longs for eternity. Paul longs to be with Christ. He has the hope of the not yet, but he has also developed a desire to live in the now out of love for others. Last week, Andrew called this heavenly resilience in contrast with worldly grief. Worldly grief emphasizes survival, and it is about getting by in our new reality. And that's good, that is important, but it's the midpoint of our journey. Worldly grief doesn't see the hope of the not yet, and it settles for getting by in the now. Heavenly resilience emphasizes healing and offers hope of life as it should be. Heavenly resilience looks towards the not yet and does not give up on the now. And Paul gives us an example of how we live in this tension between the now and the not yet in Romans 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have had the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Paul finds our present suffering bearable because of the hope we have in the not yet of God's kingdom. We experience both frustration and hope that leads to an eager waiting. And Paul describes this this wail that we have now, this wailing as groaning as in the pains of childbirth, which entails the pain of labor, but with the hope of new life to come. Step one of heavenly resilience is waiting in waiting in hope and trust for God, seeing our hope for the not yet. Waiting well isn't a a passive or silent death of emotions, but it is a loud and messy ordeal like waiting for a child to be born. Step two is wailing. It is crying out for the pain and the grief and the trauma of the now, of all that is wrong and not as it should be. It is the groans of labor with a clear hope of what is to come, but that does not deny the pain of our present reality. Dr. Kellerman writes, when we groan and wail, we admit to ourselves and we express to God the pain of our unmet desires, the depth of our fervent longings for heaven's joy and our total commitment to remain pregnant with hope 
a labor for a lifetime. Wailing is acknowledging our trauma and learning to feel again. Being honest with ourselves is like shining light into the darkness. We will see what is really there, which is valuable, but also vulnerable and frightening. But then it's much less frightening to see our pain in the light and know that it cannot overcome us. So we need to wail and grow. We need to, l- to lament. The Bible through the songs and the poetry of psalms and lamentations teaches us that lament, well, it's not only a form of wailing, but it's a form of worship. And this speaks to us about the character of God. God wants to hear about us and what we are really experiencing. God wants us to be fully honest, even when, or especially when, we are angry with God. Many biblical laments, laments are, they're communal. They're, they, ex, they often express grief and they cry out for justice on a national or even a global level. When we practice lament in community, we grieve together as we express our pain together. The many psalms of lament that we find in scripture remind us that God wants our honesty and that moments of pain are normal in a life following following Jesus. These laments also model for us ways that we can be honest with God. And then the power and the miracle of lament is that out of lament emerges trust and hope. If you read Lamentations, you'll be struck by a few verses that are in the heart of the book, the very middle. And they are verses that you've probably heard before in a a worship song or in a hymn singing praises. Because in the midst of Lamentations is a reminder that we can trust God. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. When we give our pain, grief, and trauma to God, when we express it through honest and real emotion, well, then the result is not a weak and mournful surviving. No, Paul tells us what results from this heavenly resilience in Romans 8. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are more than conquerors. Wailing moves us from victims to victors in Christ. I invite you this week to practice lament for yourself. A lament does not provide answers, but it offers space for us to express our anger, our confusion, our sadness directly to God in the face of tragedy. A lament is a prayerful response to the full range of problems in the human condition. The Psalms specifically name isolation, shame, despair, danger, physical impairment, and death as a cause for lament. And laments are one of the ways that we intentionally bring into God's presence the parts of our lives that are traumatic or painful. When you're faced with challenging questions and emotions in light of grief, trauma, and pain, I invite you to practice lament. Perhaps you need to practice lament after uh, the experience of these last couple of years. 
This week, I encourage you to take the time to sit quietly and to reflect on a time in your life when you were experiencing some type of deep pain or protest. Let yourself try to remember the feelings that are associated with that time in your life. Um, what were the cries of your heart? What were your questions about where God was at that time? As an expression of prayer, write your lament about that time or that experience of pain or loss. The only essential element of this exercise is that you authentically express to God something that has been painful to you. And if you feel uncomfortable expressing your raw emotions to God, like it's wrong to express anger towards God or to blame God for your pain, well, then try reading uh, the book of Lamentations first. It's only five chapters long and it is raw. Lamentations is not an example of God speaking to us, but it demonstrates how we can authentically and vulnerably express our rage and pain before God. Because God can take it. God can handle our anger and our despair. And remember, as we saw earlier, the power of lament and the miracle of lament is that out of lament emerges trust and hope. Lament admits our limitations and it meets God at our insufficiency. It creates space for us to trust God with our sorrow and grief. And remember that we can trust God when we have joy and light again. It allows us to process our pain and our shock and to move forward in trust. And then there are many other ways that we can wail and express our grief and pain. You can sing sad songs, keep a journal, or light a candle in, in memory of what you're mourning. The goal is that when we express our grief is to be honest. Ask yourself if the way you are living is honest to the way that you are feeling and be willing to step back if it doesn't. And keep in mind that you are expressing legitimate grief and trauma. We have good biblical reasons and examples for experiencing grief. Dr. Kalman reminds us that wailing is, is longing, hungering, thirsting, wanting what is legitimate, what is promised, but what we do not have. It is grieving the not yet without giving up on the now. And while some of your wailing and lamenting may be done privately, it is also important to share your grief. Wailing is loud in public. Lament is communal. In biblical times, people uh, tore their robes and they wore sackcloths and ash in a very public display of grief. You, you do not need to do that. You do not need to tell everyone who asks what's wrong, everything that is going on. But make sure that you're telling someone. Share with someone you trust who is there for you. If people keep asking, start being honest with them. Admit your struggles and pain. Let someone else into your trauma. It is like in Lord of the Rings. Sam cannot carry the ring for Frodo, but he could carry Frodo. Allow someone else to help carry you in your pain and grief. Furthermore, well, you may need more than just a friend. In fact, we often do. You may need a professional who is equipped and trained to help you and to give you the strategies, insight, and space to process your grief and trauma. Don't be ashamed to pursue therapy and counseling. Let a professional help you with your deepest trauma. Now, eventually, I did start to tell people what was wrong. I told my dear friend Paul, who's an important mentor and an inspiration in my life, that I was feeling totally inadequate and incapable of the work that I was doing. In turn, he helped me acknowledge that this friend of mine had indeed hurt me 
and caused me real pain that I had been in denial of. Now it wasn't so that I had to, I could be you know mad at was mad at the friend and I didn't need to be mad at the friend but I also could not heal until I was honest about the pain. Then I told my mom that I was telling myself a story that my parents didn't believe in my ministry that to them what I was doing with Damascus Road was at best just a step towards real ministry and becoming a real pastor. By admitting the story that I was telling myself, I could hear how false it was. And I gave my mom the chance to affirm that she and my dad love me and they support me as I am. And then my mom and I cried and wailed together as we rode in the car. And I told my close friend about what I'd been learning about myself and about my emotions after a tumultuous few months. We were talking about the Pixar film Inside Out, which had come out that summer, and we were taking personality quizzes about our core emotions. I kept getting anger or joy, but neither felt right to me. I explained that it felt like joy or anger had simply been masks for my sadness. I always felt left out, afraid of being misunderstood or rejected, and I always felt like I was someone's last choice for a friend or companion. I explained that I wasn't upset by this, but I was better understanding myself and seeing how sadness leads to empathy and it gives meaning to our joy. It was a good thing. And we grew closer as friends as she came to better understand me too. And now we're married, so I think that's working out pretty well. Now the point is not, the point is not that just talking about our grief or trauma will just like make it better, at least not right away. But the point is that when we start to acknowledge our pain through wailing and lamenting with others and expressing our emotions, well, healing can begin. Because grief is meant to be released. We are meant to express it, to cry out and lament, to wail. We are all broken. We all experience heartbreak and pain and tragedy. We all live in the now and the not yet. When we wail, we share our grief and we learn that we are not alone. We let the grief pass through us, we experience it, and then we begin to move forward together. Please pray with me. Dear God, we cry out to you. We wail and lament, we express our pain, and we give our pain to you, Lord. We give our trauma to you. I pray for healing. I pray that as we wait in this tension between the now and the not yet, as we express our grief and pain, Lord, that we can seek you out in that, that we can begin to find healing. I pray for everyone here, whatever pain, whatever loss, whatever trauma people are experiencing, people are grieving, Lord, I ask for space to lament, to wail. Pray that we can support each other, that we can be safe and trustworthy people to share grief with each other, to lament together, to give each other space. And I thank you. I thank you that you know the pain 
of death, Lord. You understand our pain. But that death is not the end. And this is not the end. That we don't have to settle for survival in our new reality, but instead can hope for life as it should be. Hope for what is to come. That, and that this isn't just about waiting for, to get to eternity, to pass on into eternity, but for eternity to, to enter to us, Lord. And so today, Lord, I just pray all these things. I lift this to you, Lord, and I ask for your love and healing presence. In your holy name, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at DamascusRoadTucson.com.